Our passage this morning is once again from the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 12, and this morning we're looking at, at verses 13 to 21, Luke 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul! You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of our Lord. May he add its blessing and write its eternal truths upon our hearts today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for your holy word. Lord, for your word through the power of your spirit shines light into our hearts and reveals darkness that is hidden there. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would this morning, through the proclamation of your word, shine your light into our hearts. Reveal the darkness that is hidden there. Reveal the covetousness that we are prone to reveal the idolatry that causes us, Lord, to love things more than you. Lord, I pray that you would help us through the power of your Spirit to treasure Christ above all things for your glory, for our edification, and for the advance of your kingdom in our hearts, in our church, and in this world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus talks a lot about money. There's a reason why 11 of his 39 parables refer to possessions, because possessions strike to the very core of our being, because our possessions and our attitude towards our possessions reveal a lot about us. Jesus uses money as an illustration but quite often, but in the parable Jesus uses in our passage this morning, Jesus is teaching directly about the proper or improper perspective towards possessions. Your attitude about what you have speaks volumes about who you are. Now to think of, of two extremes when it, when it comes to possessions and to life and pleasure. One is typified in the song Tripping Billies by the Dave Matthews Band. This is a band that I, I used to enjoy until I found out what they were singing about. Tripping Billies is a reference to smoking marijuana. The song goes like this. He says, we're all sitting, legs crossed around a fire. My yellow flame, she dances. Oh, tequila drinking. Oh, our minds will wander to wondrous places. And the chorus goes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
this song is a celebration of temporal pleasure, which Matthews is, is saying is certainly a very good thing. But the phrase, along with some variation, is an oft-repeated phrase that comes straight from the Scriptures. But in the form that's used in the song, it's straight out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 22, 13. The thing is, what, what Dave Matthews is celebrating is actually a sign of judgment. Isaiah 21, 22, verse 12. What was supposed to be a day of, of weeping and mourning at the destruction of Jerusalem, the people had turned into a day of joy and gladness as the people cried, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And the Lord's reply, surely this iniquity will not be atoned for you until you die. And in the parable that we're looking at this morning, Jesus puts the phrase on the lips of a wealthy farmer, the rich fool who sets out to live for pleasure but dies that very night. So that's one end of the spectrum. But on the other end of the spectrum, I stumbled across this poem written by Pastor Thomas Overmiller. You probably have never heard of, of Pastor Thomas Overmiller. He's a pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Queens, New York. I hadn't heard of him until I stumbled across his poem that just so happens to have the same title as the title of my sermon, A Wise Investment. This is what he wrote. Every day of our lives is a gift from above. Every breath that we breathe is from God. Days are past. Time is short and tomorrow is near. Time is best when it's used for the Lord. Give your life to the Lord in the days of your youth. Build your talents with service in mind. Youthful lusts are a snare that will discourage God's will. Wise decisions are based on His word. All vanity here in this world that we live, but our citizenship is in heaven. Lay up treasure above for eternity waits. Earthly pleasures will vanish away. The past is a memory, the future a dream, and the present is all that we have. So invest in the future, improve on the past. Countless heavenly joys you will know. Now, Pastor Overmiller wrote that poem while he was in high school. And praise the Lord for giving him that, that kind of desire, those Godward, those heavenly desires at such a young age. But young people, is that the direction of your life? And older people, what about you? There you have these, these two opposing worldviews, two opposing reasons for living. Be honest, which one typifies your life? Tripping billies or wise investment? My life used to be all about tripping billies and whatever worldly pleasures I could get my greedy hands on. But thankfully, by God's grace, I saw the foolishness, I saw the wickedness of my lifestyle. The Lord changed my heart and changed my desires and gave me a zeal for heavenly joys. He gave me a zeal for God. Now I still feel that the pull of the world and worldly pleasures. I'm still tempted to focus on the things of this life. But, but frankly, much of the shine has been taken off that forbidden fruit because I've experienced God's grace. Worldly pleasure does not compare to fellowship with God. What about you? Are you being wise like Thomas Overmiller or are you being foolish like Dave Matthews or like I was? Are you invest investing in this life 
or are you investing in the next? Missionary Jim Elliott, before he was martyred by the Aka Indians he sought to reach for Christ, famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so it's not a matter of, of finding of finding a balance between uh, the, the worldly extreme and the, and the heavenly extreme. There is no balance. There is no middle ground. You're either worldly or you're heavenly. We must turn our faces heavenward. We must focus and ask God to make us be all consumed for heavenly joys in His presence forever. Our passage this morning includes the, the parable that it is often called the parable of the rich fool. Jesus warns us of the foolishness of trying to keep what you cannot keep and instead of losing everything, even your own soul. There are three main points in this passage. In verses 13 to 15, we see the problem being motivated by riches. In verses 16 to 20, we see the parable being a rich fool. And then verse 21, the principle being rich toward God. So verses 13 to 15, the problem being motivated by riches. After teaching about the warning, the warning to fear the Father against denying the Son, and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, Jesus then speaks about the, or teaches us the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that leads us to confidence so that, that believers can have faith in the Father's tender care and the Son's faithful affirmation and the Spirit's empowering help. But then in verse 13, there's an abrupt interruption. A man from the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this brother is not asking for a hearing. He, he's not asking for, for him and for his brother to be able to sit down with Jesus to have, to, for, to have Jesus render an impartial decision. Rather, he's telling Jesus to rule in his favor. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say anything about the brother who has the money, but he does have something to say to the brother who wants the money. He answers curtly, not friend as in our, our last passage, but man. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now Jesus will be a judge. But he's the eternal judge. He's not coming here to judge in, in temporal passing matters. As Leon Morris points out, Jesus came to bring people to God, not to bring property to people. So here Jesus has just been teaching about matters of, of eternal life and eternal death. And all this man cares about is an, is an inheritance. He actually had right there in front of him the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. But he was worried about worldly wealth. The problem here is not any perceived injustice on his brother's part. It's his own greed. It's his own covetousness. So Jesus warns the man in verse 15. 
take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. His possessions or the want of possessions were distracting him from seeking eternal life. So Jesus warns him to be on guard. He's saying to arms, take up defensive positions against the deadly foe of covetousness. An abundance of possessions can keep you from seeing your spiritual poverty. An abundance of possessions can keep you from seeing your spiritual poverty. It can keep you from seeing your need for Jesus and for saving grace through the gospel. But friends, having possessions is not ultimately the problem. It's being possessed by possessions. You've heard it said that that money is the root of all evil. It isn't. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And it isn't every single evil. It is the root of all kinds of evil. The problem is focusing on possessions. The problem is focusing on on having possessions and on wanting more possessions. The problem is with, with wanting what you don't have or with living for what you do have. The problem is of trying to find life in the abundance of possessions. Possessions are not an end in and of themselves, but we treat them that way sometimes, don't we? We treat possessions as our goal. Again, what we either have or what we want to have. Possessions are are enjoyed for their own sake, not because they are gifts from God to be thankful to God for and as an opportunity to praise God for His good gifts, as an opportunity to then use those gifts that He's given us to turn it back so that we can glorify Him with those gifts. But possessions too easily take the place of God in our lives. The focus on possessions keeps the covetous person from ever even feeling the desire for God because the possessions, possessions either owned or wanted, consume their thinking. And both the rich and the poor are susceptible to covetousness. Eddie Minnis, the the soca singer from the Bahamas, sings in his song, Never Satisfied. He says, the poor want to get rich and the rich... They want more. Both of them are going to die from their ulcers for sure. They're not content. They, they want either, they, 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 either, they all want more. The poor want more. The rich want more. They, they all want what they don't have. They're about to consume what they do have. Just think about the seductive nature of possessions. Once you own something, you are now conscious of its upkeep, of looking after it of keeping it from getting lost or stolen or broken. And then when the new model comes out, your your satisfaction with what you have is gone. We all do this. Whether it's it's technology or cars or or homes or whatever it is, we're so easily deceived by these things and consumed by possessions and covetousness. But again, it's not just what you you have. It's setting your heart on something that you don't yet have. 
And these things not only keep you from enjoying what you have, but they keep you from enjoying God. Covetousness keeps you from God. And so what you thought was the good life is actually killing you. If possession by possessions was a problem back then, what about now? We're distracted by the almost constant drone of our possessions. Who would have thought even 10 years ago that, that, that people would be, most people would be carrying around a, a very powerful computer in their pockets? Or 20 years ago, that people would be carrying around a tablet, or, or 30 years ago, that, that people would even be carrying around a phone with them at all. These things distract us. We're, we're, we're almost impulsively checking at, or compulsively checking our phones and, and say, oh, did you get a new message? Did something new come from me on Facebook? Again, these things are meant to just be tools. But we become the tools. Covetousness is not just the brother's problem. If we're honest, too easily, too easy, it's our problem as well. Covetousness has to be one of the most common sins known to man. Other sins like, like lust or, or workaholism are, are more common at certain phases of life. But covetousness is evident from early childhood to old age. Kids, how much time do you spend thinking about that toy that you want? Young people, how much time do you spend thinking about, about the clothes that you want or, or the latest video game? Men, are you focusing on that, that shiny car or computer or quad? Women, are you focusing on, on fashion and home furnishings and fitness equipment? And seniors, are you just sitting back enjoying it all? Do your possessions possess you? Do your possessions possess you? Let's consider verses 15, sorry, 16 to 20, the parable, being a rich fool. Jesus describes here a man who is already rich and is blessed with an abundant harvest of crops. This man reasons to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to, to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. The man has a, a bumper crop. He was already rich, but now he's a whole lot richer. But notice how poor he is. Notice what's in his heart, or rather, what is not in his heart. Notice how often he says, I and my. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. My crops, my grain, my goods, I, 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 my, my, my. It's inherent selfishness. It's covetousness. Now, you talk to yourself all the time. From the moment that you wake up in the morning, you are talking to yourself. 
You were constantly telling yourself what to do and what to think. Don't talk to yourself like this. This man is saying, I deserve this. I deserve to be comfortable. I deserve the good life. Again, you should be preaching to yourself, but the opposite of that. This man is preaching lies to himself. There's no thought for others, let alone thought for God. There's not even a hint of thankfulness to God for providing him with this blessing, nor even a hint of seeking God for direction as to what he should do with it. There's no glimpse of of him seeking to help others, not even a thought of of tithing on it or of a, a first fruits offering. But rather like the hymn, we give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Now, I have seen the generosity in this church. Saints, you are a generous church. Now, I, as I've said many times, I don't know who gives how much. And that's intentional. But I am aware at times when, when, when you take opportunity to use the blessings that you have received to bless others abundantly. And so by doing, you are the opposite of this rich fool. You're making a wise investment. You're making an investment in eternity. You're making an investment in relationship with other people. You're making a a wise investment in your relationship with God. And these things will never pass away. This is the wise investment. If you experience a financial windfall, again, you have an opportunity. An opportunity not to tear down barns and build bigger ones, but an opportunity to glorify God. An opportunity to first give back to God a portion of what you have received from Him, out of thankfulness to Him. An opportunity to to glorify God by, by doing good to others. Now, the same is, is true with, with what you just have just received, but also true what you already have. Do you, do you see your possessions as tools to help you glorify God by serving others? Your home, your car, your finances, and, and so on. Do you use them for selfish pleasure, or do you use them as tools to help you love God and love others? Again, the problem is not possessions. It's your attitude towards possessions. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Psalm 62, 10. This man has no thought for eternal life. Jesus calls him a fool. A fool is one who acts with a consciousness of God or awareness of potential destruction. And for this man, it's both. This man has no awareness of God and this man has no idea that that the destruction that awaits him as his soul is called to give an account to God. This man is rich, but this man is a fool. And we've seen that he's conscious of his soul. He knows that he has a soul. He's, he's even speaking to his soul. 
but he has no thought for the eternal, for the eternal nature of his soul or for the, the eternal destination of his soul. He is consumed with temporal pleasure. He just wants his best life now. Prosperity teachers telling people to have their best life now are liars. They are liars. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 6 to, to flee these things. Verses 5 to 7. These people are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of the world. You came into this world with only a body, and you will leave it with less. Billionaire Malcolm Forbes, famous for being the, the owner-publisher of, of Forbes magazine, famously said in the 1980s, he who dies with the most toys wins. This became a, a very popular slogan in the, in the late 80s. They, they, there was t-shirts and posters, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, Malcolm Forbes died in 1990. He barely made it out of the 80s. He who dies with the most toys still dies. He still dies. This rich fool's sense of security was in his possessions. He acts as though his life is in his own hands. But as Proverbs 31, 15 says, my times are in your hand. Now this is a comfort to the believer but it should be a terror to the unbeliever and would be if not for worldly distractions. Like the man in James 4.13 who says, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Life is a vapor. I remember a young man talking to me during a fellowship time after the service several years ago and telling me he was, he was a salesman. He was, was going to go to Kamloops for a few months. And this is the, the amount of money that he was going to make. And I just opened my Bible and read this passage to him. But he went to Kamloops. And I don't know if he made his money or not. But very soon thereafter, he died of a drug overdose. Life is a vapor. And for this rich fool, the one who had given him his wealth, is about to take his life. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone but its place knows it no more. Or Psalm 39, 6, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. I've had many occasions to visit a hospice house. And it grieves me deeply how as I walk past room after room, people are lying on what is their deathbed wasting their last 
days and hours fixated on a television set. Listen for the distraction in the face of impending death in Emily Dickinson's poem, I Heard a Fly Buzz When I Die, or When I Died. I heard a fly buzz when I died. The stillness in the room was like the stillness in the air between the heaves of storm. The eyes around had wrung them dry and breaths were gathered firm. For that last onset, when the king be witnessed in the room, I willed my keepsakes, signed away. What portion of me be assignable? And then it was, there interposed a fly. With blue, uncertain, stumbling buzz between the light and me, and then the windows failed. And then I could not see to see. In the face of impending death, the dying person is trying to focus on the last will and testament, but is distracted by a buzzing fly. But here's the irony. Lost, it seems, even on the poet. Even one's last will and testament is a disastrous distraction in the face of death. A fly might seem inconsequential, but so are one's possessions when eternity is at stake. And snap! Just like that, death comes. And what will become of wealth that has been hoarded for oneself? Is anything distracting you from eternity? Now Jesus turns to the principle, being rich toward God. Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It is not just the rich man in this parable who is a fool. Anyone who keeps riches for himself and is not rich towards God is a fool. But again, possessions aren't the problem. Covetousness is the problem. Covetousness leads to spiritual poverty. Covetous, in large part, is, is what caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. They, they were not content with what God had given them, and so they were tempted by the serpent into wanting more. God had given them so much they could have everything that they wanted in the garden. But the serpent tempted them and kindled in them a, a, a perceived a, a want or perceived need that un, until that point they'd not even known existed. Listen to A.W. Tozer from his excellent book, The Pursuit of God. The best chapter, in my opinion, is entitled The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Tozer says, Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasurable things for sustenance and delight. In the Genesis account of creation, these are simply called things. They were made for man's uses, but they were always meant to be external to the man and subservient to him. 
In the deep heart of man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now, by nature, no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there is a moral dusk. Stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. Brothers and sisters, covetousness causes all kinds of problems. You've experienced this. I've experienced this. Covetousness destroys relationships. It renders people as vehicles of getting toward getting what you want or as obstacles that keep you from getting what you want. If you're helping me to get what I want, we'll get along great. But if not, get out of my way. James 4, 1-3, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend them on your possessions. Think of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. The ring of power is precious consumed him. It turned him into a, a vile, pitiful creature. It turned him into a murderer. What is your precious? What is controlling you? What is contorting you? What is consuming you? In verse 4, James calls covetousness adultery. It's infidelity towards God. So covetousness then destroys your relationship with others, but ultimately it destroys your relationship with God. Covetousness is, is saying, I'm not satisfied with what God has given me. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, it's saying, I want more. Covetousness is saying that, that God is holding out on me, not giving me what I want or, or think I need. But covetousness is even worse than that. It's saying, I'm not satisfied with God. It's saying God isn't enough for me. So not only is covetousness a failure to trust God, it's a failure to love God. It's a failure to worship God. Covetousness is adultery, but covetousness is also idolatry, Ephesians 5.5. 5. Do you trust God? Do you believe that God is really sovereign and loving and wise? Do you really believe that he will only give that which is best for you? Or are you like Adam and Eve in the garden, coveting what God said you can't have? Do you really love God? Are you satisfied with God? We need to cultivate a satisfaction in the Lord. And you can do this by making wise investments. 
In Matthew 6, 19 to 20, Jesus warns us not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, heavenly investments take a much longer time to mature, but they are secure. They are secure. This eternal inheritance is, is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading, kept in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1.4 So making investments isn't the problem. It's making the wrong investment. Now, now you can make financial investments. It's, it's a good thing to make wise financial investments. But again, think of your motivation. Are you making financial investments so that you'll be more comfortable, so that you'll be able to get more stuff? Is it for covetousness? Or is it for the glory of God? Are you making investments so that you can serve God and others? Ultimately, it's what you're investing in and when you want your investments to pay off. People are too easily satisfied. They don't consider the infinite joys of heaven, so they make their investment here in this life. And so they're focusing, their, their minds are consumed on this life. And it's a downward spiral, as Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think of the rich fool. His worldly wealth increased, so he set his mind on it and forgot about heaven. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, As for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their, their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, no, that's, that's for the rich people. Brothers and sisters of Providence Baptist Church, even the least wealthy amongst us is wealthy compared to world standards. You are far more wealthy than the vast majority of people on the planet. Are you setting your hope on the uncertainty of riches? Or rather, are you investing in heaven? Are you making a wise investment in your relationship with God? If covetousness is a failure to trust God and a failure to love God, then, then being rich towards God is the opposite. It's trusting God and loving God. Now we'll talk more about the trusting part next week, Lord willing. But can you say with, with David in Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. Can you say with Asaph in Psalm 73, 25, and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? 
There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the portion and my portion forever. Ask God to give you that desire. Ask God to show you who he is in a in a in a profound and powerful way that will bring transformation from your heart. If you want to understand the best way to do that, it's by preaching to yourself. Again, preaching the opposite of what that rich fool said. It's by preaching the gospel to yourself. Because all of God's attributes are more, most powerfully demonstrated in the gospel. In the gospel, you see God. And in the gospel, you see who God is for you in Christ as he crushed his son for your sins and for mine. The pleasures of this world can never do that. They will drive you away from that. They'll drive you away from God. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I don't know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And similarly in Hebrews 13, 5, the writer warns, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Brothers and sisters, because God is your Father through the sacrifice of the Son, God has decreed that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has decreed that, that, that you will have treasure in heaven. No matter what lack you suffer here. We read earlier Revelation 21 and, and read about all the, the, the costly jewels and the gold. The streets of heaven are lined with gold. The ultimate treasure of heaven is Christ. The ultimate treasure of heaven is Christ. And as you invest in your relationship with Christ here, that will reap dividends for eternity in your relationship with Christ in heaven. Eternal riches are within the grasp of anyone who will lay hold of Christ. Once you have met him, once you have truly met Christ, once you have walked in fellowship with Christ, it will be your joy to serve him in the confidence of eternal joy with him. Now, it may mean loss in this life. It may mean poverty and persecution and pain but it is only the Christian. It is only the Christian who is truly wealthy and wise. C.T. Studd wrote this poem. He said, 
when this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'll close with a prayer from A.W. Tozer, again in The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Can you pray this prayer with me? Can you amen this prayer with me? Father, I want to know thee, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. I do not, I do not try to hide from thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self, so that thou mayst enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shalt thou make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it. There shall be no night there. Can you say amen to that prayer? Can you pray that prayer that, that you would be willing by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to help you to behold the treasure of relationship with Christ so that you are gladly, joyfully willing to give up anything in this life. for The blessings of life with Christ. Are you willing to give up everything, even the world, even your own life, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Amen.